0: So as I said, we're going to continue in this series. Last week, uh, we picked up where Jesus entered in uh, the triumphant entry, and he goes into the temple and uh, you know, flips over the tables and everything, and he makes that declaration that my house shall be called a house of prayer. And, and then we talked about the other things that he taught about prayer uh, with his disciples at the Last Supper and, and everything and, and just what uh, a weapon and what, how important it is for us to have a prayer life. And, and how unfortunately many times that's one of the weakest areas in a Christian is their, their, their prayer life. But if the Son of God all the way up and even on the cross is praying and spending time with God, how much more do we need to pray and spend time with God? And so today, we're going to pick back up in Matthew 21. So if you have your Bible, open up there. We're going to be in Matthew 21 and 22 uh, for uh, this sermon. And we're just kind of picking up chronologically through the book of Matthew. After he comes in, he flips over the tables and everything. Then uh, this is where uh, he, we're, we're picking up in verse 23. It says this. It says, When he entered into the temple... The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching. And they said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And so here they they start out with questioning, like, who who do you think you are to come in here and flip over these things? Who do you think you are to come in and, and teach things differently than what we've always heard and, and what we've always known. And, and, and so Jesus's response was this. It says in verse 24, And Jesus answered, I also uh, will ask you a question. I love how Jesus... Uh, many times when when they're trying to ask him a question and trip him up, he just turns it right back around on them. Like he doesn't engage in a war, he doesn't stand on it. Well, I'm the son of God. That's who I am, and you should submit to my authority. Like he doesn't he doesn't get into any of that. He's just like, hey, look, I, I tell you what. Since we're asking questions, let me ask you one. All right, and if you can tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he says, the baptism of John, where did it come from? Did it come from heaven or did it come from man? And so he's talking about John the Baptist here because he knew that the Pharisees didn't receive John the Baptist. They thought he was crazy. Uh, and, and, and so he, he says, where did this come from? Did it come from heaven or did it come from man? And they discussed it among themselves. And they said, if we say it's from heaven, then he would tell us, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say it's from man, then, then they were afraid of the crowd, for they held John in the role of a prophet. And so they're, they're, they're like, you know, we, if, if we say that we believe this is from heaven, then, then it's going to be like, well, why didn't you follow him? If, if you're somebody who's supposed to follow God's ways, then why wouldn't you follow somebody who was sent from heaven to speak things to you? But if we say something else, like the crowd is going to get mad at us because they like John. So what are we going to do? And it says, and then they answered Jesus and they said, uh, we don't know. And he said to them, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. He's like, okay, if we're not, if you're not willing to make a stance one way or the other, then I'm not going to waste my time in a debate with you because you don't even know where you stand on the subject. Like if if we're not if you're not going to answer my question, then I'm not I'm not going to sit here and and answer this question. But but this is a question that's still in the world today. By what authority? Like as when we preach the word of God and when we speak things, there, there's always this this question of like, well, who are you to say this or or why would you say this or should God's authority, God's word? Uh, still be an authority in our life today? All, all these questions, like there's still the question of uh, do we follow God's word completely and everything that it says is true or is it is it outdated? Was it only all cultural? Like what authority does the word of God have in our life today? What authority does the teachings of Christ have in our life today? What should it have in our life today? And many people out outright just ask the question. Like they just they're just relling and they're ranting against the, the things and 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 they're like, why should I believe this? Why should I serve this? Why should I? And and they ask the question just outright. But other people ask the question way more subtly. They just ask the question in the way that they live their life. Because if they fully believe that the word of God and the teachings of Christ should have full authority in our life, you would see their lives living a whole lot differently than what they do. And and they're questioning. And, and, and every week when you hear a sermon that, that, that steps on your toes a little bit, you're in that position of, do I, do I receive this as truth and make the change in my life, or is there some way... Some loophole, something as to why this doesn't technically apply to my life today. So many people in the church world today are still asking this a question. What authority do you have in my life to teach these things? And Jesus, actually, out of that, he doesn't answer the question directly. He says, neither am I going to answer your question. But he does answer the question. And he answers it with three parables that he goes straight into and begins to teach about authority. The first uh, parable is the parable of the two sons. The very next word, uh, very next verse in 28 uh, is this. It says, but what do you think? So he says, I'm not going to answer you, but what do you think about this? Like He's he's engaging, he's continuing the conversation. But what do you think? There was a man who had two sons, and the first one, he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he said, he answered, I am not going to do that, Dad. I'm busy. I- I've-, I've got a date. i got to get ready for it. i got to go wash my truck. i got things to do. I, I don't have time to go into this. But then later, he changed his mind, and he went. Verse 30 says, And then, He went to the other son, and he told him the same thing. He told him to go work in the field. And he says, I will go, sir. Like, look at the honor. I mean, he even referred to him as sir. Like, I I will go, sir. But he didn't do it. Let's be honest in here. How many times have we heard a sermon, read a scripture, Heard something that challenges, and we're like, Yes, Lord, I would do it. And we don't do it. Come on, let's be honest. We've been that second son. Probably most of us have been the first son, too. He's like, Hey, I want you to go do this. I want you to go pray for this person. I want you to go invite this person. I want you to go serve at this event. And you're like, I'm not going. And then, you know, you're like, Well, maybe I should go. And, you know, so we both can kind of relate to these. Two sons, And he goes on and, and he asked the question. He said, which one of these did the will of his father? And they said, the first one did. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Now he is making them mad at this point. Because their whole thing is they're trying to reach certain status and and position within the church so that they can be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And now he's told them that that they they are going to even go behind the tax collectors and the prostitutes, which in their view would have been two of the the lowliest uh, professions or groups of people. And it says, John came to him. Uh, John came to you in a way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. See, he's tying this right back to their question. He's answering what they were asking about. And, and he says, and even when you saw it, uh, you, you didn't go after and change your minds and believe in him. Even though you saw the things that he did and, and, and understood like you couldn't bring yourself to, to align with this, you couldn't you couldn't believe in his teachings he goes on and he teaches a second parable and he said okay here another parable if the first one didn't offend you enough then here let me take a second shot and make sure that you get what i'm trying to teach you here let me tell you another parable there was a master who had a house and he planted the vineyard he planted a vineyard he put a fence around it he dug a wine press in it he built a tower and he leased it to the tenants And he went away to another country. And when the season for fruit came near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants looked at his servants, and they beat one, they killed another, and they stoned yet another. And so again, he sent other servants uh, more than the first. and, And they did the same thing to him. Now what Jesus is talking about through this is he's referring to Old Testament prophets. He's talking about the things like they were given position here on earth and, and told to tend over the earth and all this. You get into the, the thing and, and people are rejecting him. They, they send the prophets to try to get what's his and turn things around and, and they kill them, stone them, all of this. And then verse 37, and finally he sent his son saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son... They said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and then we can have our inheritance. If we can just get rid of the son, like we've wiped out the servants. If we get rid of the son and and any authority that he would have over us, because they understood that the servants had authority over them because they were sent by the master. They rejected it. They killed him. Then he sends his son, and they even recognize the position. This is the heir. This is the one who is going to be in charge of all of this once the the father passes away. And they said, if we can kill him, then this is all ours. We won't have to answer to anybody. We can have what we want. And they took him, and they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. And, and when, uh, therefore, the owner of the, the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? He tells them another story about rejecting authority and, and, and all of this. And then he, and he says, what do you think would be a good thing for this landowner to do to these people who are basically trying to steal his property? They've killed his servants, and now they've killed his son. Verse 41 says... They said to him, "He will be. uh, He will put those wretches to a miserable death, and let the vineyard and the uh, and other tenants, uh, and let out the the vineyard and to other tenants who would give him the fruits in its season." So, like, they're livid about this. They're still. They're not connecting the dots that he's talking about them, and and their rejection of the thing. They'd be like, "He ought to kill them all." and just rent it out to some other people. Like they obviously, this is going over their head as as he's talking. And Jesus said to them, have you read in the scriptures that the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who are producing fruit. Does this remind you of anything that we we talked about a couple weeks ago? Parable of the miners, right? We talked about the parable of the miners and the parable of the talents. When they rejected and, and the guy refused to do something, with what he had been given then even what he had was taken and given to someone else and once again jesus says if you are not faithful in producing fruit if you are not yielding to my authority and understanding or even my servant's authority when i send them and 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 if you're not yielding to that and producing fruit then it's going to lead to death there's a punishment there's a price He goes on and he says this in in verse 44. He says, The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. But when it falls on anyone, it will crush them." He's talking about the cornerstone. The cornerstone we know is Jesus. When we fall on the cornerstone, yes, it will crush us. It will will break us, but, but we'll be broken vessels that the Lord can use. But when we refuse to humble ourselves upon the cornerstone and the stone falls upon us, it's not just a brokenness and it's not just a humility, it's a crushing. And it's a choice that we have. Will we humble ourselves and fall on the cornerstone? Or will it eventually fall on us and we be crushed by it? He goes on and teaches a third parable. The parable of the wedding feast. And it says, And again Jesus spoke to them in parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call for those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again he sent other servants, saying to them, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready, so come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went off. One of them went to his farm. Another one went to his business. The rest of them seized the servants, and they treated them shamefully and even killed them. Now here the the master is is throwing a a party for his son. He's he's inviting them in. He's inviting them in as part of the relationship, inviting them in as part of the celebration and everything. But but what do they, uh, it says that they refuse to listen. He sent servants on multiple occasions with this. And they refused to listen to the servants, paid no attention to them whatsoever, One of them just went back to his farm and just began to do his work. Another one just went back to his business and began life as normal. And then some of them didn't like the servants so much because they didn't want to be confronted. They didn't want to, like, leave me alone. Stop messing. Don't invite me. I'm good. I don't need you. And versus having to listen to it, they just seize the men and kill them. Some of them you know, the last ones we look at and it was like, they killed them. That's crazy. It's murder, like, yeah, those are some evil people. But the other one was just like, they're inviting them, and he's like, Oh no, I ain't got time for that. I got I gotta go work on the farm. Oh no, I'm, I'm too busy. I, I gotta take care of my business. I gotta I got take care They're distracted with life. They're distracted with their possessions, they're distracted with the things of this world. And so because of that, they they miss out. And it wasn't like the king was angry because this one group of people killed the servants, but the other people who were just distracted, he just was like, oh, well, I understand. No big deal. Look at the king's response in verse 7. The king was angry and he sent his servants uh, uh, Troops to destroy the murderers and burn their cities. And he said to the the servants, uh, to his servants, the feast is ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. They're not worthy. Not worthy of what? He's talking about the kingdom of heaven here. He's not talking about the kingdom of God. The people who I invite into me and they reject me because they're so busy with everything else. Don't get mad at me. I'm just reading Jesus' words. That's why they're in red again. They're they're refusing to yield. Like It doesn't matter how many times this king invites them to do something. They don't care. They've got better things to do. Verse 9 says, Go therefore into the main roads and invite... The wedding feast, as many as you can find. And those who, uh, those servants went out to the roads and they gathered all that they could find, both good, both bad and good. So that the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in, he looked at the guests and, and uh, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. So he's wearing the wrong clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wearing a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. The king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This this isn't a light response. Jesus is taking, he's telling three parables Back to back to back. Anytime something is, is in Scripture twice, it's drawing emphasis to it. But when Jesus takes three parables back to back to back, and this isn't the only time he taught a parable. As some of you may have recognized it if you're, you were here uh, uh, about three or four months ago when we went and looked at Luke 14. This parable sounds a whole lot like the parable he preached this on multiple occasions. Why? Because this is near and dear to God's heart. God wants his house to be full. God wants people to be concerned with him. That that when he calls, when he invites them, that they say, yes, Lord, and they'll come. That that it doesn't matter if they're busy. It doesn't matter if they just got married. It doesn't matter if if they've got work that they feel like they've got to do. It doesn't matter what possessions they have. That when the master calls, that they're going to respond and they're going to answer. And when we refuse, when we when we refuse all three of these parables, when you look at them, it, it, it they, they were given a choice as to whether or not they were going to yield to the master's authority. All three of these stories, they they had the opportunity to to say yes and do it, or 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 even the the first one. You know, the the, the first son said the wrong thing but he did the right thing with his actions. The second son said the right thing, but did the wrong thing with his actions. And Jesus made it clear which one was the one that did it correctly. He was more impressed with the person who just outright told him no, but later changed their mind, than the person who said, yes, Lord, I'll do it, but continues to go do whatever they want. Which one did the will of the father? He would take the delayed obedience over the complete disobedience. Why? Because God he, he doesn't want your words. He doesn't just want us to say we love him. He doesn't just want us to, to say he's the Lord of our life. He doesn't just want us to say things. I mean, the, the son who, who rejected him, who didn't end up going, he even called him sir. He put a title of respect on the way that he talked. The other one was like, no, I'm not going I I don't have time he disrespected him but later came around and here he's talking to religious people and he said it's better for them who have lived a wayward lifestyle but later in their life accept me as Lord and go on than for you who say all the right things but still reject my authority in your life the Pharisees could quote The first five books of the Bible. The Pharisees prayed prayers and and everything the Pharisees gave. The Pharisees went through all of these things. And Jesus is trying to point out to them that even though you say the right thing, even though you look the right way, you're rejecting me. How many people do we have sitting in our churches today Who say the right things, look the right part, but are not yielding to his authority. He's looking for fruit. Talked it last week with the the fig tree. Came looking for fruit when it wasn't fruit, he cursed it. Here in this passage of scripture he he's talking about the, the fruit that he sees in their life. Like, What are our actions showing? Are we following him? The, 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 the other two the, the stories here show that there's a clear expectation of, of what he had and what he desired for them to do. What was he coming back for with the people in the vineyard? It was fruit season and he was coming back for what? He just wanted his portion of the fruit. But they didn't want to share their fruit. It was their fruit. They did the work. Man, it's awful quiet in here. Guys, we have to ask ourselves, like, When you look at our life, is the only fruit in our life the words that we say? Has there been change since a point of salvation? Has our life changed? Because when the disciples encounter Jesus their lives completely changed when they encountered Jesus because they, 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 when they were asked to follow him, it wasn't a once a week meet me at the temple. It was an every day of your life Wherever I say we're going, we're going. If I need to send you somewhere to get something for me, then you go get something for me. If I need to send you to a city and divide you up and send you out two by two, then you're going to do that. If I just want you to follow me, then you follow me. If I want to send you across on a lake while I stay here and pray, then you go do that. But they, the, the, the thing that controlled their life was, was whatever Jesus said. Jesus' words is what dictated their life. How many of us can clearly say that with our lives? That our possessions are God's possessions and if he tells us to give them, we'll give them. That our careers and the way what we do with our gifts and talents and abilities, it's fully up to God. And if God wants to detour us from what we're currently doing to do something else, and even if it makes less money, even if it doesn't have the benefits and everything, will we do it? Because our lives are His. The disciples left their inheritances, they left their fishing boats. They left their businesses. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to go sell your business and quit your job and all that to go follow God. But even in your workplaces, are you following Him? Are you listening for Him? Or are we a lot of people who say the right words, sing the right songs? On Sunday, but the rest of our life, we just try to fit him in if we have time. If I have time to read your Bible today, I will. If I have time to serve somebody, I will. If I have money left over, I'll give it to you. If I is God first in priority in our life, or does He get our leftovers? In these three stories, the people tried to offer leftovers, were just words. And he said, "I would rather take the person who outright rejected me, and then received me, than somebody who says all the right things, but in the end, I'm really not lord of their life." When you look at these things, like it seems like some harsh punishment. Like weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, all of these things. Like That seems like it's harsh and severe. Why would God do that to somebody who was really his? Why would God do that to one of his servants? Well, it kind of brings up a question. Are you really someone's servant if you're not under their authority? Are you really their servant if you only serve them for what's beneficial for you? Isn't that what the people in the vineyard tried to do? They tried to, they knew this wasn't their land. They knew this, they didn't have ownership of this. But they thought, well, I'm not going to listen to his servants. So let's just kill them and get rid of them. Because I, I, I don't, I don't want to give up what's mine. It never was theirs. Who owned the vineyard? Who planted the grapes? Who dug the oil press, the wine press? The landowner, right? So whose were all the grapes? The landowner. Not theirs. In our life, who gives us the ability to make wealth? Who gives us our time, our talent, our treasure? Who gives us the resources I, that we have? Him. So whose are they? His. But do we honor his authority over it? Or are we like, hey, I don't want to listen to that. No. Well, you're asking for too much, pastor. You, you're you asking, uh, And we just stone them. I can tell you this. I've had some stones hit me. I preach messages and I'm I'm literally reading the red words, Q. I I put them in red so that you can see they're his words, not my words. So that you get mad at him and not me. People still get mad at me. Christianity isn't a prayer that you say. You can say all the right words and be cast into outer darkness. What are you doing? What fruits in your life? I mean, we talked last week that Jesus said the people who love him and the friends The people who were his friends, remember John 15, people who were his friends, would what? They would obey him. But how many of us continue to walk in disobedience to him in areas of our life because we don't want him to be Lord over that? No, I have to hold on to my unforgiveness. I have to have. No, I need to be in control of how I spend my time. And if I want to go enjoy all these things, I, I worked hard, I should be able to do it. No, I want to be in charge of my money and how I spend my money. I don't want anybody telling I work hard for it, I should be able to spend my money the way that I want. I, I should be able to, 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 whatever it is, fill in the blank. The area that God asks you for and you refuse is your real Lord, not him. Why? Because it's calling the shots. Lord means... They have authority over it. It's theirs. Could it be that Jesus isn't saying that people who these people are like the, these are Christians and he, and God's just mad at them because they didn't do something, so He throws them in the outer darkness? Because if they had really loved him or been his friends, Jesus said in John 15, 14, 14 and 15, that if they were, that they would obey him. How many of us, I'm just just asking, can truly say that whatever God asks us to do, that we'll obey him. because that's the sign like again it's not if you love me you obey me if you're my friend you're going to do what i say no the fruit of relationship the fruit of love is obedience many people believe oh well, I love him but aren't willing to obey oh we're, we're friend I'm, I'm in relationship with Christ but are not willing to obey but I say the right things I serve, I do things well again go read Matthew 7 cast out demons Heal the sick in your name Jesus so adamant about his people being about the kingdom's work. Why? Why does it matter so much? Because the Bible says that it's God's desire that none would perish, but that all would come to know Him as Lord and Savior. It matters because when we don't enter the vineyard, when we don't enter the fields when we don't yield everything that we have to the master. There are other people's salvations that are on the other side of our obedience and our yielding to God's authority. And when we don't do our part, there are people that He designed for us to reach, for us to share the gospel with, for us to impact their lives that we'll never do it and they may never come to know him as Lord and Savior, which means that they will spend eternity in in hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. God loves us so much and loves the world so much that he would continue to tell his church, wake up, get in the fields, start serving people, start loving people, start forgiving people. There are people dying and going to hell, and you have the answer. And you're sitting around on Facebook. You're sitting in front of a TV. You're so busy with your blessings that I gave you. And you're perfectly content to let the harvest rot on the vine. That's why Jesus... He didn't say pray for revival he didn't say pray for blessing he didn't say pray for provision he said pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest because the fields are white they're ready it's harvest season the time is now but the laborers are few so beseech for you and what you can reap out of it you were saved for a purpose Jesus paid a high price for you he made you the dwelling place of the temple of the, of the presence of god he's given you the word of god he's given you the family of god Not so that you can sit and consume from it and take from it. But that you can realize all these things He's given me. He's given me for Him and when He asks I need to move. Whether the timing is convenient or not convenient. Whether the it makes sense to me what I'm doing or not. All I know is the Lord asked. And now here I am, Lord, send me. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iHeartChurch.online. We love you and have a great day.